what is the infectious cycles, how can viruses infect us, and what obstacles must they overcome in order to replicate successfully. This and much more will be discussed in this episode of The Viral Talk. But before we get to that, as usual, I will kindly ask you to follow The Viral Talk on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or any other platform you're listening this from, to follow The Viral Talk on Instagram and Twitter, the links for the profiles will be provided in the show notes down below. And if you would like to help the podcast grow and give some feedback, to leave a review on the episode on podchaser.com. But now, without further ado, let's go viral. Hello and welcome to The Viral Talk, the podcast that makes virology easy. I'm your host, Federico De Angelis, and I will do my best to explain in simple and straightforward terms all things virology. If you follow the Viral Talk on Instagram, you might have noticed that the topic we're going to cover today has actually been chosen by people that follow the page through a questionnaire. And this is a format that I'm planning to use more as we go along with the episodes, so if you ever want to know more about a specific topic, make sure to stay up to date with the content and vote on the questionnaires published by the page. In this episode, we're going to talk about the basics of infection. This is a very broad definition to talk about all the events that need to happen so that a virus can successfully infect its host and what happens once the virus gets inside and starts replicating. Not all viruses infect in the same way, the same cells, and as I've said in the previous episodes, not all viruses are transmitted with the same mechanisms. So while some steps in the infectious cycles are common to most, if not all, viruses, others are actually pretty virus-specific. And I will try to make this clear using different examples. In order to understand infection, we first have to look at what happens before a virus manages to get inside a cell, and look at the entry inside a host. All microorganisms capable of causing disease, viruses included, enter the body through either the mouth, the eyes, the nose, our urogenital openings, or cuts and abrasion on our skin. SARS-CoV-2 and flu can enter through the nose, HIV through cuts, abrasions in our urine genital openings. Rabies comes through cuts, oftentimes when we're bitten by rabid dogs, for example. Rotaviruses and other intestinal viruses, such as polio, usually enter through our mouth, and so on. Once these pathogens manage to get inside, they firstly have to survive a series of passive defenses which are very difficult to overcome. You see, when you think about it, we are actually very well defended against pathogens. Our skin's outer layer is a very good defense, because it is seemingly impossible to penetrate, for a single virus at least. It has a relatively acidic pH, which stands at approximately 4.7, which makes it very inhospitable for viruses to stay on. And it faces the outside world, which in and of itself is not the best place for a viral particle to be. Firstly, because viruses cannot replicate on their own, and secondly, because other nasty things such as UV light, pollutants, and proteases, which are uh, proteins that degrade other proteins, uh, can neutralize them. Hence, viruses have evolved to exploit the only openings that we have, 
Similarly, however, we have evolved other forms of passive defenses to better protect said openings. For example, in the nose we found mucus, which traps the pathogen going in, and that also contains other proteases, that are these enzymes that can degrade other proteins. If you remember, viruses are made of genetic material contained within a protein capsule. Proteases destroy this protein capsule, leaving only their genetic material exposed and unable to cause infection. The, our respiratory tract in general has many other types of defenses, but if I were to describe them all, I fear this episode would be at least an hour long, so I will move on to other sects. If we take the eyes, for example, we have tears, which apart from the role of lubricating the eyes and keep them moist, are also full of a molecule called lysozyme. Lysozyme is a very potent, non-specific protease that has the role to kill intruders. This doesn't take into account only viruses, but also bacteria. In the mouth, we find a very acidic environment, which in and of itself can kill viruses and other pathogens. We also find a huge amount of lysozyme, like in tears, which kill pathogens, but also we find a population of beneficial bacteria that stay in our mouth, which are defined as commensals, that also contribute to killing viruses and other pathogenic bacteria, opportunistic pathogens, by producing molecules that can kill them, such as uh, reactive oxygen species. These are uh, reactive forms of oxygen which usually burst and kill the pathogens. The gastrointestinal tract is extremely acidic and also contains mucins which trap pathogens as well as having a direct access to our immune system through a series of regions called Peyer's patches. These Peyer's patches are little organs that directly connect our gut to our lymphatic system. Basically, these act as outposts of our immune cells that detect and check the environment for potential pathogens and start mounting up an immune response. If we were to move into the blood, well, that's full of lymphocytes, our white blood cells, which are literally the cells that have the role of defending us from infections. And also, if that was not enough, the blood is full of a series of proteins that degrade pathogens and increase the immune response and generally make it harder for viruses or bacteria to grow in it. If, and only if, a virus manages to surpass all of these defenses, infection can take place. But then again, it is not that simple. You have to imagine cells as like closed rooms. They have a lipid membrane, which delimits them, that we could consider the door. On the door, on the lipid membrane, sit numerous proteins and other molecules that have multiple roles in the regulation of the life of the cell, normally. For viruses, all these molecules that stand out of the cells are like door locks that need to be opened 
with the right key. Viruses have proteins on their surface too. For example, for SARS-CoV-2, it is the spike protein. For flu, it has two different proteins called hemagglutinin and neuraminidase. For HIV, it is the envelope protein or ENV protein, that all of which act as keys. But as not all keys enter in all door locks, it's the same for viruses and cells. If the entry protein of a virus does not bind with the right molecule on the surface of the cell, then the virus cannot get inside. Not all cells have the right door lock for all viruses to get in. For example, SARS-CoV-2 spike needs the human protein ACE2 to get inside the cell. So cells that do not express ACE2 cannot be infected by SARS-CoV-2. That is why, for example, SARS-CoV-2 cannot infect our liver because the pathocytes do not express ACE2. Similarly, the envelope protein of HIV binds to the CD4 protein, which is a receptor found only on the surface of immune cell. Therefore, it cannot infect cells that do not express it, and it cannot infect, for example, cells of the skin or muscle cells. Binding of these keys to the correspective door locks causes a change in the shape of the cellular membrane and basically causes it to fold in a way that incorporates the virus within it in a process called phagocytosis. Now, there are multiple ways in which phagocytosis can take place and there are multiple mechanisms that involve different cellular machinery and different viruses prefer different mechanisms depending on their structure. But what is common to most of these mechanisms is that once the cellular membrane folds and incorporates the virus, it detaches from the outer layer of the cell and moves inwards towards the interior of the cell. You can basically imagine it as uncooked bread dough, which is very plastic and very malleable. So that when you detach a piece of it to make a roll, for example, you can still reshape the remaining dough into whatever form it had before. It's very similar for the cellular membrane. You can take a piece out, which is usually shaped in the form of a circle, but the membrane will keep being round and will keep the same structure it had before. Once inside the cell, the viruses need to release their genetic content either into the cytoplasm, which is the interior of the cell, or into the nucleus, so that it can be duplicated and viral proteins can be produced for the new viral particles or new virions to be produced. Depending on the virus, these processes can vary vastly. In episode 1, What is a virus? I mentioned that sometimes viruses can have a lipid coat, a lipid layer. If this is the case, then the lipid layer of the virus will eventually fuse with the membrane of the vesicle that incorporated them inside the cell, as they're both made of lipids. And the genetic content of the viral particle will be automatically released inside the cell. For viruses that do not have a lipid membrane, this is slightly trickier. Usually, these viruses have some proteins on their surface that once the virus is incorporated into the vesicle and gets inside the cell, but is still within this membrane, 
punch holes into the lipid membrane, effectively releasing the virus inside the cytoplasm. Now, once the virus or viral particle is released inside the cytoplasm, different things can happen depending on the virus. If it has a genome made of DNA, for example herpes or cytomegalovirus or papillomavirus, then the DNA has to be transported inside the nucleus of the cell because that is the only place in which it can be replicated, since the cellular machinery required to duplicate DNA, called DNA polymerase, is found only in the nucleus. If the virus has a genome made of RNA, then it can be replicated directly into the cytoplasm. There are exceptions, of course, but I will not name them, as this episode is supposed to be pocket-sized rather than a full one-hour lecture. But if you would like to know more about these specifics, please, please, please let me know either on Instagram, Twitter, or via email, which will be provided in the show notes. I am more than happy to provide additional information and additional sources, such as papers, book articles, in the show description. Anyway, coming back to what I was talking about. If the virus genome is made of RNA, then the mechanism for replication is a bit more complicated. You see, cells cannot replicate RNA on their own. So viruses need to encode in their genome the machinery to do so. And here it gets even more complicated. Because RNA viruses can be divided in multiple categories, depending on the form their RNA genome takes. These viruses can have either a single-stranded RNA genome that can be positive sense or negative sense, which literally means the way it can be read from start to finish, either from left to right or from right to left. If it's not single-stranded, their genome can also be double-stranded, like for DNA viruses. Now, I know that in the first episode I said that RNA genomes are usually single-stranded, but I also said that there are exceptions. For example, rotaviruses, of which I've talked about in previous episodes, have a double-stranded RNA genome. Coming back to replication, cellular messenger RNA, which is basically the RNA that gives the cell the instruction to produce proteins, is only found in the positive sense. This makes the job very easy for positive sense RNA viruses. Because their genome looks just like messenger RNA and can directly be translated into viral protein that start hijacking the cell, lowering its defenses, and accelerating the rate of viral replication and of virus production. Coronaviruses are an exception, but we're going to discuss about this in another episode. For negative sense RNA viruses and double-stranded RNA viruses, an extra step is involved. These viruses usually already carry an RNA polymerase in their capsule, so that when their protein capsule opens up and the genome is released into the cytoplasm, this also happens to the polymerase protein, which binds to the genome, makes a positive sense copy of RNA, which is then recognized by the cell as messenger RNA, and production of viral proteins can begin. Once produced, 
the viral proteins usually do a lot of different things. Some of them have a structural role and form the viral particle, like the protein capsule I've been talking about. Others shut down the antiviral defenses of the cells. And others start packing the replicated genome inside the protein capsule so that the virus can get out and infect other cells. To do all of this, these proteins usually hijack also motor proteins, which can be considered basically cellular chaperones or cellular taxis. They, their role is to move proteins around inside the cell to the location in which they can for, perform their function. Viruses are able to take advantage of these proteins and redirect them towards the cellular membrane from which the viruses can then assemble piece by piece, form the viral particle as we can imagine it, like for SARS-CoV-2, the ball with the spikes, and egress or exit the cell. These processes are very complicated and involve an enormous amount of different cellular proteins, so I will not get into details, but in general, these are the final steps in the cellular life cycle of a virus. The egress of huge number of viruses from the cells can sometimes lead to cells literally bursting and contributes to the damage that we often see in infection. The damage is not only due to this. It can be exacerbated by this. More often than not, the damage is due to the fact that, that cells have actually mechanisms to recognize that they've been infected. And in order to curb the spread of viruses within a tissue, for example, say in the lungs, they activate protocols of literally autodestruction called apoptosis. Another big part of the damage that we see in infection is often due to our own immune system. That in trying to eradicate the infection and kill the invaders, damages its own tissues. An example of this is the onset of ARDS, or Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, in SARS-CoV-2 infection that is actually caused by a disproportionate response of our immune system to the infection. So to recap, viruses can only infect us through our apertures, be it the mouth, the eyes, the nose, our genitals, ears, or cuts and abrasions on the skin. Once they get inside the host, they first need to survive the multitude of passive and active defenses present. If, and only if, they stumble upon the correct cell with the correct lock or receptor, then infection can take place. Binding of the virus to these cellular molecules on the outside, so these cellular locks, causes a change in the shape of the cellular membrane, which leads to internalization of the virus into small pockets called lipid vesicles. Once inside these vesicles, Viruses have proteins that punch holes in them and release their genome and their content inside the cell. 
If the virus has a DNA genome, then it needs to be transported to the cell nucleus, where its genome replication can take place. If it has an RNA genome, then replication usually takes in the cytoplasm through their own genome replication protein, called an RNA polymerase. The RNA is then transformed into proteins by the cell, and these viral proteins then hijack the cell to transform it into a viral factory. The newly produced viral proteins are then transported to the cellular membrane by cellular proteins that act as chaperones, so that then they can be assembled into a mature viral particle, also called virion, and exit the cell to start the cycle again in neighboring cells. Having said so, we have now reached the end of this episode of The Viral Talk. Thank you very much for listening. It really has been a pleasure to talk about this topic. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to either recommend it to a friend or help the podcast grow, feel free to leave a review on it on podchaser.com. And if you'd like to keep up to date with the release schedule or like to have some sneak peeks for each following episode, Follow the viral talk on Instagram at, at the underscore viral underscore talk underscore and on Twitter at the underscore viral underscore talk. Also, don't forget that we will be doing some more questionnaires to decide the future topics of the future episode of the viral talk. So don't forget to keep up to date with the content that's going to be released on the page on Instagram or on Twitter if you want to know more about specific topics relating virology. See you next time and don't forget to go viral. <laughs>